In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Welcome to In Discussion and the Lost Canadians. My guests today include Vancouver-born Don Chapman, founder of the Lost Canadians, who himself lost his Canadian citizenship when, while he was a child, his father moved south of the border and became a U.S. citizen. Mr. Chapman's identity was rooted in his father's citizenship, regardless of his mother's. After years of fighting to have his Canadian citizenship restored, and for the rights of thousands of other so-called lost Canadians who found themselves jilted by immigration law vagaries. Mr. Chapman won his battle. The government enacted a bill that allowed the majority of lost Canadians to reclaim citizenship, but suffers still from reluctance to fully enforce the law across many cases. Don Chapman has spent 20 years devoting his life to supporting the bill and those people still unable to fulfill the dream of returning home to a country where citizenship is denied. Sheila Walsh gained her citizenship after 16 years of perseverance, following a traumatic childhood during which her mother took Sheila to England without her father's knowledge. Years later, the challenge of regaining citizenship became a tense battle, finally won in 2008. My third guest that wishes to remain anonymous, fearing repercussions from the Canadian immigration authorities, and for the purposes of this program, referred to as John Doe, falls under the 1947 Act, when his case being the child of a Canadian mother but U.S. citizen father denies him citizenship, notwithstanding a status that is held by his brother and sister. He continues to live an insecure future, despite the circumstances where his family enjoy citizenship themselves. Glenn Fennick was born in Toronto in 1969, where he grew up, spending his childhood years. At the age of six, he and his family moved to Malta in the Mediterranean. The subsequent passing of his father, some six years later, led to him reluctantly renouncing his Canadian citizenship at the age of 18 years old, in order to gain the right to work as the head of the household. Had he been born just eight months later, he would have never had to surrender his Canadian citizenship. He would have qualified for dual citizenship under a partnership agreement between Canada and Malta. He now works as an established airline pilot, wishing for a life in Canada where his heart lies. Snare Rabin, under similar circumstances, although displaced in a generation issue, now resides in Canada on a clerical visa, earnestly hoping to establish his right to citizenship in a country through which his roots exist. And finally in the studio today, Jackie Scott, a prior guest on In Discussion, who under the ambiguity of war bride clauses in the citizen statutes still exists between the US 
and Canada on visitor visas, currently not meeting lawful status and right to live in the country to which she wishes to return permanently. Don Chapman, Sheila Walsh, John Doe, Glenn Fennick, Snare Rabin, and Jackie Scott join me for this moving discussion on citizenship and human rights in Canada. Welcome to In Discussion today. It's a great pleasure to have Don Chapman, the founder of Lost Canadians, in the studio with me. We also have John Doe. John, how are you today? Just fine, thank you, David. I'd like to start off with you, if I may, please, sir. Don Chapman has been supporting you with the citizenship issue. Could you give us a brief background synopsis of where you are today, what you're trying to achieve? Okay. If I may, before I begin, I want to thank you personally for continuing to give highlight to this problem and those of us who are suffering. My situation is that I was born, like my younger brother and sister, outside of Canada, but unlike my younger brother and sister, prior to January 1st, 1947. With the enactment and force of Bill C-37, which Don had so very much to do with, my younger brother and sister, born after January 1st, 1947, now have their citizenship recognized and are card-carrying Canadian citizens with their card bearing our wonderful Citizenship and Immigration Minister's signature, Mr. Kenny. I am still not, and they refuse to recognize my right to citizenship simply because I was born outside of Canada to a Canadian mother and an American father. It must be an irony. Very sad for you, John, at this stage to see your brother and your sister with citizenship and you still today without it. It is indeed, David. It, it is a, a totally ridiculous situation. I can understand that. I understand the legalities of it and all of the ins and outs of the bill and the fact that the first Canadian Citizenship Act was brought in in, uh, in 1947. Uh, yet, if anybody, I think, tries to evaluate this on a common sense basis, it, it just does not hold water. Don? Can I make a comment? Your brother and sister like you, were born outside of Canada. That's correct. And it, so it's only because they were born after 1947, they're accepted, and you are not. That is correct. What about the possibility, Don Chapman, of trying to extend the bill that you brought through to extend this time period? That's exactly what I'm trying to do as we speak, and it looks like I'll be going to Ottawa probably in February before the committee, and that's what I am lobbying to get them to do. John used a word called common sense, and they don't seem to have very much. It's a very simple fix. We have to take that date off, and it will cover people like John. And then there's a reason. Quite interestingly, we're using the name John Doe here because he could be found out who he is and deported. And they've done this twice before to other lost Canadians. John, what is your birth date? 19th of June, 45. So you're two years displaced from this. Don Chapman, the trauma that this creates, not only for people like John, but also for the extended family. Is this becoming more of a human rights issue now than it is a citizenship or an immigration issue? It is very much a human rights issue. They claim to have equality of rights in Canada. Another guest, uh, Schneer Rabin, he made a comment about the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms to me yesterday, saying almost every other word seems to be the word citizen and equality of rights. Well, I don't think it should be asking or expecting too much of my elected representatives that they uphold those values. Unfortunately, what we have is we have a prime minister, Stephen Harper, who is violating 
two Supreme Court decisions, three UN conventions on human rights, and the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And we have three opposition leaders, Michael Ignatieff, Jack Layton, and Gilles Duceppe, who are not challenging him. They are allowing this, so they've become accomplices. Uh, we have a whole committee full of citizenship critics, if you will, and not one is challenging the Prime Minister on this issue, and it's very much a human rights issue. And uh, John should be allowed in Canada, and uh, not only with that, with honor, but with an apology at the same time. In retrospect, do you think sometimes that perhaps putting this 1947 date on the bill was rather hasty? Well, well, what they did, David, is they gave me this bill and said, "This, you take this bill, you get unanimous approval in the House and the Senate, or else we don't give you the bill. They gave me and said, there are no other choices. You take this or you get nothing. So I had no choice. I had to take it. And they promised that they would look into it after the passage of the bill and before the implementation date. They promised that they would sit down with me and try to work out some of these anomalies and problems. And Jason Kenney, the citizenship minister, has refused since day one. He's never, never met with me. He did publicly challenge me the other day interestingly in a student newspaper and yet uh, I took him up on that challenge saying I'll meet with you and he refuses. John, what do you anticipate the timeline now being to reach a fair conclusion on this? David, I don't know what the timeline is because it's kind of like how long is a piece of string? It's a matter of how successful Don can be and how much support we can give to him. But if I may, David, I know you've got a lot of guests, but I'd like to make a couple of three points real quickly. One is that the other thing that was tacked on that, that was rammed down Don's throat was this second generation issue, which you, you're causing the growing number of stateless children to be born abroad. The other thing is it's not as just a human rights issue, it's a woman's rights issue. And not only are my human rights, uh, basic rights, I think, being denied, but so are my mother's. She is considered a person from 1947 on. Prior to 1947, she still has the status of a non-person. And in addition to all these uh, committees and ministers that we have, we have committees and ministers for ministers' rights, and, or for, rather for women's rights, and they don't seem to be doing anything. Don Chapman. It's an age discrimination as well. Yes, that's true. In fact, I have looked into the possibility for immigration as a stopgap measure, and for various reasons it would take a long time to explain. Every avenue for immigration possibility, has, I've, I've hit a brick wall with every one of them. One of, those, one of the possibilities would have been family class sponsorship, and I was told by the people at CIC that my mother would not be considered a suitable sponsor for my immigration because of her age. And as you may know, that sponsoring a family member is kind of like signing a bank, co-signing a bank loan. Basically, they were saying they wouldn't accept her as a as a viable sponsor because she could die before the period of responsibility was up. And one third point, if I may make, David, is that there is the possibility of five four uh, section five four grants of citizenship. But one of the problems with that is, and one of the things that it would be nice to get it, but I wouldn't be happy with it, is that that grant would start from the day that it was granted, whereas my brother and sister and everybody else who has been taken care of by Bill C-37 are considered Canadian citizens from birth retroactively. Thank you, John. Sneer Rabin, pleasure to have you joining us today. I understand that you're currently residing in Canada on a clerical visa. Yes. Can you give us a overview of your situation please 
An overview of my situation. Grandfather came from Europe after World War II in 1951. He landed as a permanent resident in Toronto. He became a Canadian citizen in 1957. In 1961, he got married in the United States in Detroit, which is a border city with Windsor, Ontario. And my mother was born there in 1963. I was born there in 1983. My grandfather gave up his Canadian citizenship for whatever reason in 1970, and he was told that his children are no longer Canadian citizens. That law changed in 1977, saying that such children as my mother can now reclaim their citizenship, but of course she never knew about that. So since 1977 until 2004, she could have always claimed Canadian citizenship. I came to Canada as a student for three years in 2000, and I got a student visa upon entry. No one asked me if I ever had any connection to Canada, and I had no way of knowing. We never, we didn't know we should talk to a lawyer. When I walked into Canada on that day, myself and my mother could have received citizenship, but we were never, not aware of that. In the meantime, in 2004, she lost her chance. That, that window for her uh, to register as a citizen was closed. And then I came here in 2008 to work. Again, I got a visa. And later, on April 18, 2009, I heard in the news this story that, oh, many people are reclaiming citizenship. I looked into it. I applied in May of 2009 took about a year to get an answer, which interestingly, I never got an answer from CIC. They sent a letter to my mother, and they said, I'm not a citizen, but she could sponsor me. And I looked into it, and then I decided to go to court because there was a few things. First of all, they didn't send me an answer. That's not fair. And the device they applied that she should sponsor me is also not correct, because if you don't live in Canada and she does not, you can't sponsor someone. And also, if the child is over 18, you can't sponsor them. And I felt it was just wrong, based on the law. Basically, the judge and even the attorney on behalf of the government, who was representing the attorney general, they both expressed sympathy. But I don't want to oversimplify the complexity of the issue, but they, they couldn't grant the judicial review to go further, even though they did express sympathy. The, the crux of the issue is that in April 17, 2008, it was assented and came into force in 2009, that the second generation born abroad does not get citizenship. At the same time, they granted my mother citizenship retroactive to her birth. So she's now a citizen retroactive to her birth, and I would think the only practical relevance of that is that her children, since then, retroactively, are also citizens. But they're saying, no, uh, she's a citizen retroactive to her birth with no practical relevance, and you are not. And in fact, in the law which makes this exception, they put together all kinds of cases, and, and there's many cases in the law. It's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And it doesn't clarify which one applies which way. For example, if my mother had been registered prior to 2009 as a citizen, I would still be able to do that. But since she was not, I'm not able to. But it doesn't specify that in the law. That's the crux of my situation. Don Chapman, thoughts on this case? Well, there's no question this is uh, complete and total gender discrimination. What happened was there was a gentleman by the name of Mark Benner that was born in the United States to a Canadian mother and a U.S. father. I think it was around 1961. He applied for Canadian citizenship, and they denied it based on the fact that it was his mother that was Canadian, not his father. He went to the Supreme Court of Canada in 1997, and in a unanimous Supreme Court decision, they ruled that all foreign-born children of a Canadian parent had the right of citizenship, which would have covered, and this is what Schneer was talking about, this would have covered his mother. He also made another point. Nobody told him about it. And very valid point. So I brought this up in testimony in April of 2004, 
to the Senate of Canada, and I said, this is fascinating because what they're saying is that all foreign-born children of a Canadian parent have a right of citizenship, which in my particular case would have meant that had I been born outside of Canada, I would be Canadian, but because I was born in Canada, I wasn't, and I mean, that gets into more confusion. But the point being is that it, just days after my testimony before the Senate of Canada, the then uh, Director General of Citizenship and Immigration Canada, a lady by the name of Patricia Burkett, came to the Senate of Canada and said the witness was referring to a provision that was deemed to be discriminatory based on the virtue of a person's birth. It was transitional and will expire on August 14th of 2004. So out of the clear blue, the bureaucracy of Citizenship and Immigration Canada elected to ignore the Supreme Court of Canada and that's what they're doing right now. They are illegally ignoring the Supreme Court of Canada, which said this is totally wrong, totally discriminatory, and that people like Nair Rabin should be Canadian citizens based on the fact that they were born to Canadian mothers. Nair Rabin, out of interest, what is the period that you have left on your clerical visa? I have until 2013, June. So I just renewed it recently, so the timing on that is not of urgence. Is this a visa that you can extend? I could, yes. The fundamental principle would also, it will ease integration into Canada. I mean, the, the visa is very limiting. You can work in one place. If you want to change it or you want to add places, you have to go get special permission and go through a three-month application process. There's very little you can do. You, officially, you're not supposed to buy a house if you're not a citizen. It's, it's very limiting not to be a citizen. It's your intention that once you have the citizenship to reside in Canada? Yes, I intend to remain here. But either way, I will argue the fact that this is his fundamental right of citizenship, and it's a human right that they're violating. Glenn Finnick, welcome to In Discussion. Hi. Glenn, can you give us a very brief synopsis, please, of your situation? Sure. Parents came over you know, as immigrants from Malta, 1953. They had three children, all born here in Canada. And then uh, I was born in 1969, July 20th. When I was age six, my parents decided to go back to Malta, and of course I had to go with them. From then on, I've lived my, you know, the rest of my life in Malta. I've been uh, uh, living over there. Age 12, uh, my father passed away. Anyhow, you know, that's what life gives us, you know. When I was 18, the immigration of Malta came to me telling me that I had to renounce my Canadian citizenship in order to stay in Malta and be a multi-citizen after all my life living there, because that was the law back then. It was quite a hard situation, right? Just pack up and, you know, go to Canada after all these years. I believed I was born in Canada, and I believed to be a citizenship, but yet I had no kind of choice right, where to go. I wasn't left with a choice what to do. I had, a, you know, my, my mother brought me up, you know, since age 12, you know, as a single parent, you know, taking care of stuff. Since then, I tried to drag on as much as possible to hang on to my Canadian citizenship. But then one fine day, this letter came home and told me, listen, you have to, you know, renounce formally, otherwise you won't remain a citizen of Malta, or else you won't be able to work here, and so forth. Can I make one comment, though? Sure. The, the real point you have here is you were part of the breadwinner of that family, and you had to support your family, and you couldn't work without being a multi-citizen. That's the whole point here. 
Yeah, that, that's very correct. That's what I had to do. Yeah. Is Malta part of the European Union, or is it an independent state? No, it is part of the European Union. You're a national of the United Kingdom and every other state within the European Union? I'm a national of Malta, yet I'm a, you know, I'm a national of the European Union, yeah. So essentially, Glenn, you can work in any country within the European Union and reside in any country. There seems to be a twist here, Don, if that's the case. Yes, he has that right. But of course, what Glenn wants is he was born in Canada. He was a Canadian citizen. He grew up in Canada. He wants the right of Canadian citizenship. There isn't a option here where he can denounce his citizenship of the European Union and switch it over to Canada. Not I that I know that of. that they won't allow that at this They stage. have not been at all uh, accommodating in any way, shape, and form here. Out of interest, Glenn, if that option would arise, would you consider it or not? I would say I would have to consider it. I, I mean, the whole point with Glenn is we have a young child uh, who grows up, I mean, he is very much of a loyal family member, somebody that we would admire for doing that, taking care of his family, and he has to work. And Malta says, you can't work unless you're a citizen, which means that his family suffers. Under that situation, who would not renounce their citizenship? It was under duress. Now, Canada today is holding that against Glenn and saying, you are not a Canadian, you gave it up. Well, he really didn't give it up. I mean, Glenn is a Canadian at heart. And since today they allow dual citizenship, both Malta and Canada, why can't be he, in his heart and legally, be a citizen of both countries? There's an emotive element that comes into this. Glenn, I had the pleasure of talking to Jackie Scott, who joins us today. It, the country of your birth is very much in your heart, as it is mine with England. H how is it for you, Glenn? Are you torn? Is there a trauma that comes with this not being able to return back to Canada? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, deep down inside, there's always that thing missing, right? There's always... Uh, I'm, I did miss Canada. I miss Canada a lot. I do come here, you know, I try to come here every year because I've got my brother over here, my eldest brother's here, right? I still got, you know, my family over, part of my family's here. So I try to do that every year, wherever I can. I really miss this country, you know, and uh, it, it does keep me at heart. Yeah, it's it's really sad, you know. I'm saddened by the fact that I'm not recognized as a Canadian citizen, while others who, after the date that Malta allowed uh, dual citizenship, they're, you know, they're totally free to be dual citizens. You know, they, they had their Canadian citizenship, they stayed with it, and then they, retained, they gained their Maltese citizenship, right? So, you know, with that thought in mind, yeah, I do feel that, you know, it, it's, it's breaking my heart, you know, that... I can't really claim I'm born here, and I can't claim that I'm a Canadian citizen. I right. would like to, at that stage, bear with me if you would, Glenn. I sure will. Bring in Sheila Walsh. Uh, Sheila, welcome to you. I know that you uh, travel through, I'm sure, much trauma in your journey towards citizenship. How do you think that people are affected through this process and do you think that people in government really uh, have an affinity or really understand what people have to go through in gaining this entitlement returning home certainly for the first 
12 years that I was fighting to reclaim my citizenship, get proof of citizenship once they told me that they'd taken it from me because I hadn't signed for retention, which I didn't know I had to do. I was a lost and very angry soul because uh, I'm Canadian, sir. No one should have the right to take that from me. And for 12 years, I went from pillar to post. I was just passed from one section of bureaucracy to another. The same answer. The next person should be able to help you. Until finally, I met the young man that's with you today, Don Chapman, via the internet. And somehow he got a chink through that armor of bureaucracy that I'd been banging against. And we forged through. He led us and we forged through. And Diane Finley finally recognized and admitted there was a little bit of a problem in the Citizenship Act. That went on and the others of us did our best to rectify that act. How I felt emotionally, I was bereft. I, I was mourning the loss of myself because I was Canadian and they wouldn't let me be one. I had to pay to stay in my own country. It extended stay, extended stay, and of course, that cost money. I wasn't allowed to work even voluntarily. So all our savings that we're going to buy our home here, and they shrink. And I can't claim my pension until I've been permanently in the country for 10 years, which is from 2003, when I finally came over. I got my little British pension, and I thought, right, I don't have to keep going back to England and work to come back here and fight for my citizenship again. And then 18 times I crossed what they call the pond. I can tell you, it's a great divide. And the great divide now is between Canadians who have the right to be Canadians, and Canadians who've had that right taken from them. It is, no one, I think, can imagine the pain, the fundamental loss of self. And you're fighting just to be yourself. You're not asking for the world. You're asking for recognition of yourself. You know you're alive. You know you're a human being. And I certainly knew I was Canadian, sir. Very briefly... I was born in 1943 in England. My father was a Canadian soldier. He met my mother in 1941, married in 1942. I was born in 1943, all registered on his war record. His commanding officer gave him permission to both court my mother and then marry my mother. And my name is there on the 29th of March, 1943, born a daughter, Sheila Han. And that was little me. 1946, on the Queen Mary, my mother and I were repatriated with my father at Halifax, as I think everyone knows. My life was lovely, ordinary, not rich and glamorous, just happy, right? A happy child. And one day my mother told my brother, sister and I that we were going on holiday to England. My dad was not at home at the time. Off we went. And then when we were in England... I found out that we weren't coming back to Canada. It wasn't the life she wanted. So I cried. So she told me my father was dead. Still cried for many years in my heart. In 1990, via my brother, I found my father was still alive and kicking. And he was in BC here, where I am now. So I sent him a Christmas card. And in it, all I really said was, I don't expect an answer. I want you to know I've never forgotten you. Every day of my life, I've thought of you because our life in England as children was unpleasant, shall we say. We were, we were bits of Canadian dirt, as far as my mother's family were concerned. And sir, I'm Canadian, but I ain't no bit of dirt. I came over in 1991 and met my dad again. It was nearly 40 years gap between when I'd last seen him. And it was, it was, well, 
uh, I still feel it now. It was wonderful. Straight back to England, apply for proof of citizenship. I'm an RN. I would have got work anywhere in BC. And that time, 1991. And not now. I'm a bit older now. But uh, I got this letter back, the latter part of 1992. I thought, at last, here it is. I bought this little mobile home here in the Okanagan Valley to be near my family, my dad and his family, and not on top of them. So Jim and I, my husband, would have this little place here in the valley. And uh, I ripped open the letter in England, oh, hey, you know. And it said, well, you were a Canadian, but because you didn't sign for retention of your citizenship, we took it from you. And that's when I started fighting, not for any practical thing, not for any physical thing. I was fighting for my identity and my right to be a Canadian. And that fight took, well, all our money, but it took a lot of my soul at the time until I met Don Chapman by the internet. He has honestly, he, first of all, he shepherded us together, if you understand what I mean. And he's used his personality, his strength. And I've got a bit of personality and a bit of strength, but I hadn't got the ability to open the doors or knock a brick out of a wall or a chink of the door that Don managed to do. But I'd follow that man through hell and damnation because of what he's done for me, giving me the ability to fight for my own self. And, sir, I am now a Canadian twice over because I got a special grant of citizenship. Honestly, since that day when I got my special grant, and less than a year later, I got a citizenship card going back to the beginning of citizenship, which was after my birth. Canadians should learn at school. One of the first lessons that any Canadian should learn is that citizenship came to Canadians on January 1st, 1947. And prior to that, they were British subjects. But once you were Canadian, who on God's earth has the right to say you are no longer a Canadian? Through any reason. If your parents had to go and work in America because there wasn't work here. If any, any reason at all, if you had a once had the right to be a Canadian, I maintain you have that right until you are buried, still a proud Canadian. Sheila, let me bring in Jackie Scott, and thank you so much for that. How does this resonate with you listening to this and many of the stories that you hear? They're very similar to the feelings that I have. I'm Canadian in my heart. They're denying me because my parents weren't married at the time I was born and I was born before 1947. My father was a Canadian soldier. My mother was a British war bride. I lived in Canada. I was educated. I voted. My daughter was born in Canada. All my family is Canadian, and yet they are denying me the right. There's a, a law called the Legitimation Act that in effect gives me citizenship or gives me citizenship of my father back to the date of my birth. It legitimizes my birth back to the date of my birth. And yet they don't know those laws. They're ignoring them. It's been upheld in the Supreme Court, and yet they are ignoring that law. It's almost like they are waiting for all of us, for the problem to go away through attrition, waiting for those of us that are past the age, past 65, pension age, waiting for it to go away by our dying. Why would they allow that? It's just that they, they don't seem to want to take care of the situation now. I'm Canadian in my heart. It's what I know. 
I can sympathize with the people that have spoken. We all have an issue here. The Canadian government needs to rectify this. John Doe, if I may come back to you, sir, having listened to these stories, there must be so much synergy uh, with where you are at, your situation. How does this resonate with you in your particular fight for citizenship? Well, David, it, it resonates at exactly the, the same frequency throughout, where our stories are a bit different, but they're the same at the core. And unfortunately, one of the cores appears to be the government recalcitrance, the government's lack of interest, lack of compassion, anything else. And, and unfortunately, it's just not the current government, but these things have been going on for many, many years. There, there's a ridiculous thing which fortunately was righted early on, but in, in the case of my mother, who, who married an American citizen, at a time when the 47 Act came in, the simple act of marrying a non-Canadian revoked her citizenship. So it's frightening, it's shocking, it's saddening, and it's just bloody ridiculous. Don Chapman, we've listened, and I'm sure that you've considered this, the emotional trauma, the stresses that are placed on not just these individuals, but in an intergenerational perspective and a generational perspective and to the friends and the people who know them. What is that psychological effect that we're creating not only on this individual per case basis but also that's resonating in the public domain of this country? Unfortunately the public domain I think Schneer made a comment of I think everybody made this comment no one told me. They were very unaware, and currently it's the same situation in Canada. The media has been very lackadaisical in publishing and talking about this. I mean, when Bill C-37 was changing, all rights of Canadians changed. In some ways, they took away rights. So some, all Canadians had less rights in certain areas in citizenship law, and I don't know really of one area of the media in Canada that broadcast it. So people didn't know. And it continues. For generational, we're talking with Schneer, who is second generation. Yet, you're talking to somebody like me, who was born in Canada, or Jackie, who is first generation. It goes back, and I, I was thinking of Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz, saying there's no place like home, there's no place like home. It affects you for generations and generations. This is my point, is that looking at the wider perspective in my work, looking at the political platform and the religious platform, the many paradigms that we're seeing evolving in this very changing world, it is a conditioning here uh, that is occurring. And that conditioning could be no more apparent in this particular issue, and I suspect not necessarily because it's an immigration or citizenship issue, because it's a human rights issue. I spoke with the Attorney General of the province where John Doe is about four days ago, and that was his exact comment about this issue. He says, this is a human rights issue, and maybe as a province we need to take it up with our federal government, but the problem is nobody really is doing it. I have to make another comment. Two people. Donna Lewis. Maybe we'll dedicate this program to Donna. I think Donna just died. I lost contact with her. Her father died 
in World War II fighting for Canada. He was brought back as a wounded soldier to London, Ontario. Donna was a war bride child brought to Canada, and the father died, and she is now, I think, our fourth lost Canadian that has died disenfranchised from Canada. But Donna lived her entire life without an identity, and Canada refused to accept this woman. What can you say? There's a war bride child that just was treated so badly. David, it, it, just human rights are human rights. It would be nice to have a country that isn't so hypocritical, that when they say that they believe in them, that you know it with actions. I will challenge on your program the Prime Minister of Canada and the Citizenship Minister to make good on this. I'd love to have them on this program. I'd love to sit down with them. What is it about the media in Canada that is so reluctant to cover this story? I think they get funding from the government. This just happened. There's a big story the other day with the Asian group in Canada. Uh, McLean's Magazine, which is like Time Magazine in the United States, wrote an article and they talked about something being too Asian in their words. The Asian community went nuts and Senator Vivian Poi, she called for taking away the funding of McLean's. I didn't know McLean's was funded by the Canadian government or had funding. It seems that every group in Canada is dependent in some way or another on the funding of money. And nobody wants to bite the hand that feeds them. When you asked the question earlier about generationals and a generational issue and how this goes back for so long and, and affects people, I have one woman by the name of Maylin Dong. Maylin's father was born in Vancouver as an Asian man many, many, many years ago. He uh, went to China, found a woman he wanted to marry her, wanted to bring her back to Canada, but there were laws of exclusion against the Asians, and there were head taxes. He got her to Detroit. May Lin was born out of wedlock in Detroit after 1947. I eventually got May Lin's citizenship about six years ago, but today I can't get May Lin's daughter's citizenship. And it all goes back to the exclusionary laws that were on the books in Canada, whatever, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And so here is something that is, I'm dealing with that, you know, almost a century old, and it's still affecting the grandchildren. Yeah, this really has big tentacles. I think this is the point I'm, I'm making here, is that we have, on many levels, no real understanding of the effect upon not just one generation, but many. And that can ultimately create a huge sense of fear and abandonment of a country that these people so love. There was a huge lesson in World War II. One, the very first thing that Hitler did when he came into power was take away citizenship of anybody who was Jewish because he realized that without citizenship you have no rights. There was the ship, the St. Louis, I think it was in 1935, and it was full of Eastern European Jewish people. Cuba turned them away, the United States turned them away, and Canada turned them away. And the ship ended up back in Europe where a lot of these people were exterminated. You would think today that Canada would have learned these lessons of what it's like to exclude people. And... Uh, there are some big ramifications here. I mean, Canada has kicked out people. I mean, I can't even imagine Sheila Walsh. I mean, here was a woman who was abducted. 
I, I mean, remember the Elian Gonzalez story in the United States? Cuba and the United States went, you know, battling for this little baby. In Canada, they threw Sheila to the walls. Her father died. It was a very dark day for Sheila and me. I remember calling Sheila, and she could hardly get the words out. She said my father passed away, and she had yet to become a Canadian citizen. I mean, Canada is too good of a country to allow this sort of thing to continue. These are wonderful people. They contribute very much to the society of Canada. They'd be exactly what I'd want if I were looking as an immigration minister. What kind of people do I want? They know the language. They're great Canadians. Glenn Fennick, you are still in Malta. Clearly, you did have to make a very hard decision in order to look after your family. That's correct. But your heart is still in Canada, and you're still prepared to give up your right to Malta to return well, back to Canada? Today, they don't have to give up the right. They can retain both. Exactly, yeah. But you're still willing to fight on to get back to Canada Don, for Glenn, uh, what are the next steps? Well, Glenn's an airline pilot. I mean, again, it's not like these people are, are mooching off the system here. These are exactly what you want in, in your country. Very productive members of society. And, and Glenn's got younger kids. I mean, so does Schneer. I mean, these kids will grow up and be productive members of Canada. That's what you want. What, what it is for Glenn, I'm trying to get... Glenn, like everybody else, uh, Section 5.4 for Glenn, if nothing else, permanent residence status. But more than anything, I'm trying to change the law. Changing a law takes a lot of time. And, and so, as in the case of Donna Lewis, she didn't have the time. So I'm trying as much as I can to get these people recognized as soon as I can. I will still continue to try to change the laws. Snerubin, you finally, you're in Canada now. What is your sense of determination to leave this visa that you're on and become a true citizen of the country that you love? My sense is that I feel I've been cheated by the government out of my citizenship through not knowing and secretly changing the law. They say it's not secretly because they publish it in the Canadian press, but there really was no way that they could honestly contact everyone who had renounced it and tell them there's a change to their children. I think there's a lot of... Um, stonewalling on the part of CIC, the time it takes just to get an answer to an application is, is close to a year at least. And that's really unfair to people who are citizens of the country. They deserve better service from the government. In fact, my father's from Australia, and I just got out um, Australian citizenship by descent. That process took me from mailing the documents to Ottawa and receiving the certificate 10 days round trip from when I mailed my documents till I received my citizenship certificate. And in fact, I've now applied, as Don said, for the Section 5-4 exception, and I've stressed in my application that there's a clause in the Citizenship Act that says that one who is a citizen of Australia has in Canada the status of a citizen of the Commonwealth. That's where it ends. I don't know what that gives me, but I am already a subject of the Queen, which would mean I shouldn't even have to make the oath, so I really do feel that I belong here. And uh, it's just give the runaround, spend the money on becoming a permanent resident, on a visa, on this, on that, and it's, it's it's not easy, and I see, like, my uncle, he's my mother's brother, so he was also a lost Canadian, but he married a Canadian, so he, 10 years ago he became a permanent resident, then became a naturalized citizen, and in fact now they've changed his citizenship, that he's not a naturalized citizen, but retroactively he's considered born a citizen, 
with the only practical relevance is that if he were to go back to America with a different woman and give birth to a child there, that child will not be because they would be considered second generation born abroad. But like, they're going and making these little minor changes to people which have no relevance once they're a citizen, or even degrading the level and the forcefulness of their citizenship, but in something which common sense would say, let this person stay and just bypass the system. In fact, I know the reason they made the second generation exclusion, which is mainly what I'm suffering from, you know, everyone has a different story. The reason they made this was because during the war in Lebanon, many people came running to the Canadian consulate that they wanted to be saved, and the Canadian government pays for their tickets, and it cost the government a lot of money. So they wanted to cut out someone who has no connection coming and using the country. But I've been living here for five years. I have family here. My great-grandparents lived here. I visit them in Toronto all the time. I have an uncle, a great-uncle, and I work here, and I pay the taxes. I studied here. I got my training here, and I'm an Australian citizen. One would think that they would say, okay, you can stay. But I have to send in a new application after two years of going around, and then you don't even get acknowledgement for six months. The whole process can take at least two years, and I hear from Donna, it can take even longer. So it's very frustrating to not be able to identify who you are and just live with that and contribute as you would like to uh, because um, you're going against a stone wall. Don Chapman, as we close towards the end of the program, by your estimates and research, how many people would you say are in this dilemma in the world now? Probably tens of thousands right now. They, they admitted to me that there were 750,000 lost Canadians, so it's somewhere between 750,000 and a million. I would guess that there are tens and tens of thousands of people left, but statistically, not that many people are going to pack up their bags and move to Canada overnight. You will have some, but for the most part, there's no limit to virtue. Canada could easily fix this problem with the stroke of a pen, and the problem is solved, and uh, people's lives are saved. We've discussed briefly the reluctance of the media in Canada to become mm -hmm. involved in this, and I recognized your arguments for that. Let's turn now to the government, and in particular, Mr. Kenny. What is the reluctance there? I would have thought that Mr. Kenny would want to be able to respond to these issues, given the position that he's in. Well, I one time said uh, to Mr. Kenny, ignorance is not a virtue, or I said it not to him because he won't talk to me, but I said it through the Toronto Star. This man does not care about this issue. I mean, he seriously doesn't care. When we had Guy Vallier uh, of Montreal, a Canadian World War II veteran, born in Canada, fought for Canada in World War II, and he was dying, I very much specifically asked Mr. Kennedy to intervene. He did not. He allowed this man to die disenfranchised from his own country. This is the kind of guy I'm dealing with. But let's, let's say it like it is. Jason Kenney does what his boss tells him. And his boss is the Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper. This is Stephen Harper's baby. And if Stephen Harper has elected to turn his back on his own people, I don't know how more clear I can be on that. Stephen Harper should be ashamed of himself. He did a good job at fixing this issue for 95% of the people, but he's very happy to leave 5% behind. If uh, Mr. Kenny was invited onto this program and we could receive that confirmation from him, then I'd assume that you would clearly want to join that program, be open to solution-led discussions. Absolutely. I'm an airline pilot. 
anytime we have a problem in a cockpit, that's exactly how we approach it, and we've been very successful. I'd love to have a frank discussion with Mr. Kenny. Since he's become citizenship minister, that's all I've ever asked. Sheila Walsh, John Doe, Glenn Fennick, Snare Ribbon, Jackie Scott, Don Chapman, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. To our listeners today, I hope that you enjoyed this program as much as I. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com.